Hello, and thank you for joining us on this Rips Great podcast. I'm Mike DeMeo, an associate in our healthcare group based in Boston. I'm joined by my colleague, Amanda Rad, a litigation enforcement partner and co-chair of the firm's anti-corruption and international risk practice, Andy Dale, also a litigation enforcement partner, and Allison Zetsky, healthcare counsel. On this podcast, we'll discuss compliance issues that are top of mind for healthcare and life sciences clients related to COVID-19, such as shifts in enforcement risk, challenges related to limited drug supplies, and possible adjustments to business practices. For those of you unfamiliar with Ropes and Gray's Global Healthcare Compliance Initiative, collaborating across practices and geographies, the Global Healthcare Compliance Initiative has benchmarked and implemented global compliance programs grounded in companies. The co-leaders of this initiative span across our global offices, with Amanda, based in our London office, Allison, based in our Chicago office, and most recently, Andy joined this initiative and is based in our Hong Kong office. We also partner with law firms in six continents and are developing a compendium of local law requirements across key international jurisdictions. We want to specifically welcome Andy, who recently joined this initiative and brings extensive experience advising multinational companies on international investigations and in corruption risk assessments and implementation of compliance and corruption programs. Thank you for joining us. Before we begin, we want to note that Ropes and Grace put together a database of latest news and insights related to COVID-19, available at ropesgray.com coronavirus or through ropesgray.com homepage. These resources include, for example, reviews of government and agency guidance related to the pandemic and its impact on health and safety, as well as discussion of changes in enforcement. Shifting gears to the topic at hand, I wanted to poll this group on what you're seeing as the biggest impact of COVID-19 among our life science and healthcare clients. What issues are top of mind for your clients? Allison, would you, would you like to kick us off and discuss what you're seeing in terms of how companies might be changing their business practices in response to the COVID-19 pandemic? Thanks, Mike. In my discussions with life sciences and, and healthcare clients of late, um, we've had lots of different um, topics to tackle, including changes to virtual sales models with everyone um, shutting down their offices and shifting to stay at home. Also, changes to patient support offerings um, in an effort to try to meet greater patient need, and also increased demand for charitable giving. Companies are really, really thinking hard about how they adapt their everyday business practices to this new normal where the ways of maintaining contact with our healthcare provider customers and with patients can be very challenging. In some of the questions that I've talked about with clients, we really had to think about whether or not changes that are being proposed are needed in order to respond to the pandemic, um, whether they're targeted, whether they're necessary, and they actually assist customers or patients. And sometimes um, we've assessed challenges um, that might actually result from a desire to ease restrictions on current practices um, and, and this could be seen as, as just an opportunity to change a past business practice as opposed to something that really is related to the pandemic. What are you seeing as, as the biggest risks during this time? I think specifically um, two areas where we've had conversations are um, grants and donation requests and patient assistance. I think this is no surprise um, given what's going on. With respect to grants and donations specifically, I think companies are certainly getting more requests for charitable donations and they want to meet that need. Um, they want to be a good partner to their community and to the healthcare community and to patients. Um, and so they are, in some cases, expanding budgets where possible. In other cases, they are expanding the types of requests that they might accommodate. Um, I think it's important 
in these cases to to the extent possible, even with different business models and practices going on internally, to try to follow your normal grant and donation process in terms of receipt and review. Um, an example of a different type of request that a life sciences client might get is a, is a request to help fund um, a donation for personal protective equipment, either directly for a medical device company or through a funding request for other companies. This isn't the type of thing that would normally have been done in the past, um, but certainly is something that's happening more frequently now. One recommendation we've given is to have a specific policy or written statement on, on how the company is supporting these charitable endeavors in the time of the pandemic and what specific needs are being met. For example, in the past, um, you know, a life sciences company might not have made direct donations to hospital clients if they're a typical client, um, but certainly things have changed and I think there is more flexibility given what's going on in the world. However, I think it's important to keep in mind that the basic principles of bribery and kickback haven't changed, and so some things really should continue to be avoided. For example, you know, general funding donations to customers, um, not for specific purposes, or general funding donations for patient advocacy organizations not earmarked for a specific purpose as well. With respect to patient support, this is another area where we've had lots of conversation. Here again, an expansion of offering should be really targeted to meet the need that patients are facing right now related to the pandemic. It's not an opportunity to just expand, for example, financial subsidies to patients, even though some patients certainly may be um, experiencing challenges in this time. For example, expanding a free drug program um, to accommodate newly unemployed patients would certainly make good sense. Uh, additional offerings for virtual education programs might make sense as well. But again, um, important to think about uh, making sure that your restrictions on things like direct patient subsidies remain in place, or if, if they are being discussed, there's a really thorough vetting of these types of requests. Thanks, Allison. Turning over to Andy, Andy, what are you seeing in Asia? Thank you, Mike. Unsurprisingly, the issues for life sciences companies in Asia are similar to those elsewhere, such as the impact generally of remote working on compliance and internal controls, uh, ensuring grants and sponsorships are appropriate in a changed environment, and risks around increasing use of technology, both in the business itself and compliance. The balance of obtaining accurate and actionable data while managing data privacy and cybersecurity risks continues to be a challenge and, and similarly demonstrating the value of virtual meetings which have replaced large physical meetings but often at similar cost is also a concern. Um, regulators may look at these and other issues with the benefit of hindsight but the reality is we've been living through these changes for some time now. So companies are looking to try to get ahead of the inevitable questions about how processes have changed, the consequential risks, and the steps taken to review and enhance them. Amanda, turning it over to you, what types of process changes are you seeing in the industry? Thanks, Mike. And uh, process changes are not a matter of choice, but have almost become a, a matter of necessity because there are all these new and changing business practices that are happening. So going back to grants for a moment, right, there may be not only new grant recipients that uh, businesses may be 
considering, um, but there's also the fact that there may be uh, a, a really escalated timeline for how quickly um, a, a decision needs to be made about whether or not a grant can be approved. You know, with the supply changes, you may be getting supplies from all kinds of different um, suppliers and locations, which of course bring with it, again, time pressure and urgency. And all of the processes and procedures that companies have built were really designed around obviously moving with deliberate pace, but were designed around a system that envisioned people working largely in the office. Of course, there's remote interactions, but but very much office-based, and, and that's just a different world that we're, that we're living in right now. And so most of what I have been working with clients to understand is, okay, first, where are the biggest risks right now as compared to where they were uh, before COVID-19? And once you understand what those biggest risks are, instead of uh, trying to come up with a whole new procedure um, and, uh, and really developing a whole new protocol, it's then saying, okay, what is the outcome we're trying to achieve and how can we do that safely knowing, knowing what those particular risk areas are? So if the outcome that we need is to find a way to safely make these grants or donations or find a way to uh, secure the supply that we need, but in order to do so really timely, it may be that the principles that governed our policies and procedures still very much apply, but the actual process for how you seek approval and um, what the uh, approval timeline looks like looks different. You know, some of the processes that exist are very kind of data information paper heavy, and there's a lot of back and forth exchange of information, which takes time and can be somewhat burdensome. Uh, and so I, there are a lot more conversations happening, which I think is really a positive development in many ways because with conversation comes the ability to actually discuss the business need, the rationale, uh, and the decision-making process live in a way that you don't really get when you're going back and forth from a kind of paper chain approval process. And so, you know, I think there is, I think there's a lot more communication happening. I think communication is really important. Um, you know, as Allison said, we have to be careful that we don't just throw caution uh, to the wind and and think that we'll get a bypass or an excuse for uh, any any issues or challenges that come up during this time. Because of course, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you can always look back and make suggestions that that you should have done things differently. But I think by really ensuring that you're focused on the ultimate outcome, what the biggest risks are, and then thinking through how to mitigate those risks and really just talking them through with the right decision makers, speaking to the people that are actually making the proposals, you end up getting to where you need to be. Yeah. And, and Amanda, just chiming in on that point, you know, once you get to that decision, don't forget, right, even though you may have moved away from some of the paper-based, uh, more process-heavy, you know, structure that you're using when everyone's in the office, that there is there still continues to be documentation, right, of, of intent and purpose for these decisions, whether it be expediting a purchasing decision or expediting a grant decision. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Allison, and, and not just of the decision-making process, but also of the new risks that you're facing. Um, I think, you know, lots of people are 
conducting these informal risk assessments of sorts because that's the right thing to do and you kind of have to do it right now, but uh, they may not be documenting them in the same way they otherwise would if it was being done in a you know more proactive um, time period where you have a little bit more time on your side. And so I think mapping out that whole process from risk identification through to decision-making is really important. When thinking about risks, what types of flexibility or, or waivers are you seeing from regulatory authorities on enforcement risk? Well, wouldn't we all like a pure waiver? <laughs> but, but I think the guidance has been helpful, as helpful as it can be, right, which is that uh, we're all, we are all, of course, trying to do the best we can. And, you know, from countries all over the world, you you see regulators themselves trying to adapt to the times and it, not only in, you know, how they interact with each other, but also how they work on the cases that they're working on. Um, so, you know, I think there's an understanding that things have to be done differently, um, but there's by no means have I seen any anything that I would call anywhere close to a waiver or a kind of defense um, other than to say things can be different, but they still have to be done correctly. Thanks, Amanda. Before we wrap up, we'd like to note that Ropes and Gray's Global Healthcare Compliance Initiative has worked with partnering local council to develop a compendia of country-specific laws relevant to healthcare and life sciences companies and their clients' programs. Sections for several regions have been completed, including Asia, Europe, and North America. Please reach out to Amanda, Andy, or Allison for more information. Also, in connection with this effort, we'll soon be launching a new podcast series called On the Ropes Enforced Risk Roundtable, which will feature conversations with our local council partners across the globe, where we'll discuss regional compliance in their jurisdictions, including changes caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. So please stay tuned. In the meantime, please visit our COVID-19 website at ropesgray.com slash coronavirus for additional information and insights. Please also feel free to subscribe to this series wherever you regularly listen to podcasts, including on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.